Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Over the Top, your place for the latest Premier League talk. I've got my beer in hand and my man Justin on the line all the way from Arizona. How's the sunshine down there? Pretty nice. You know, it's as bright as Manchester City's title chances. But um, ching. Um, no, it's, it's really good to see the sun. It's been really dark recently, at least before I left um, to come to Arizona and Washington. So it's good to remember that this is bright orange yellow ball in the sky that heats up planet Earth. So that's good. Um, you know, There's I this can't... thing called the, the sun out there in the universe. Us up here in the Pacific Northwest, we forget that in the winter sometimes. It's good to right. remember. It's, it's good to remind ourselves that that exists. I've channeled my 65-year-old white person self and i've gone to the club and went swimming and been to the driving range i golfed with Bo and shane yesterday hit some nine holes that was fun i can hear i can hear the whiteness from over here (laughs) yeah (laughs) my buddy Bo and shane Bo and shane good guys uh you know talking about the state of affairs in the world which is pretty crazy but here on this pod we are a soccer podcast so we got to remember, as serious as we take the Premier League, it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, life throws some crazy shit our way. And oh, sometimes you got to joke about our whiteness, even though you and I are both mixed. But yeah, it's good to get some swings in on the course. Oh, talk yeah. about, laugh at Everton if they're into, into the football oh, at all. Oh my God, how do you not? Maybe today, it, but... maybe today, since we're over in Seattle, commiserate over what happened. Uh, <laughs> the russell wilson trade oh man but anyway maybe oh, for another pod another that, podcast yeah that you're uh, involved with in. yeah another podcast uh emerald city fandom if you're into seattle sports but man how about this week in the premier uh, first of all before we get to the premier league today uh, just a shout out to kareem benzema and luka modric you know people oh say they're God. old and washed and i i've seen so much discourse on this especially on the luka side because he's 36 but Modric, first of all, unappreciated. That guy ran the midfield today against PSG. And then Benzema, just finishing machine. Good, I mean, good for them. Happy for them. I'm not a real Madrid fan at all. But that was uh, very impressive to see. Oh, that was fun to watch. I mean, you're talking about one of my favorite ever Tottenham players that since my time in being a fan, and I swear he was so underrated, Modric was. And yeah. as at 36 year old to absolutely run a game that involved Marco Verratti, it's pretty impressive. And then Benzema, I can't think of a player who's been so underrated for such a long time. I mean, it was almost like since Ronaldo was at Madrid, no one ever really paid attention to Benzema. He's definitely top three striker in the world. He's got to be. I mean, you talk about players that age like fine wine. I mean, just look at Benzema the last, I mean, mm-hmm. specifically last year, as we said before the show, but this year too, I mean, just getting it done. He's a great player. Great. I thought, I thought great link up play well too. Um, Vinicius is good. I thought Rodrigo looked good as well. So yeah, the mighty, mighty PSG with that Messi Mbappe Neymar front line is out. out. And I'm yeah, sure I, we'll be hearing a lot about Pochettino to Manchester United rumors. Yeah, Even though I don't. I don't really think that's who United will go for. But no, but we'll the rumors there. will be there. Yeah, they'll be there. You know how it Speaking is. Speaking of United, Kyle, Manchester Derby happened this weekend, and you know, as close as it was in the first half, I don't think I've seen. Honestly, this is not an exaggeration. A more dominating second half than this game, ever. 
I mean, am I am I am I reaching here? I I don't feel like I'm being dramatic. I mean, I think people would probably throw out the crazy score lines and nine mil nine nil games and whatnot. But if you look at the possession stats, Justin, it was like I I was so baffled by what United were showing because they were in it at halftime. What it was one one at the half, I think, or one, maybe one, two, two one. one. I can't remember. Yeah, they I mean, were in it though. It was, they were definitely in it. But yeah, it looked like they just straight up gave up. Man City were just having a training session. I just I was surprised by what I was seeing. Yeah, so let's talk about City first because we want to acknowledge the good. And the good is City in this instance, you know, no matter what people think. I mean, let's just get this out. Both both clubs spend a lot of money recently, so let's just get that out of the way. Um, City have an identity, and they absolutely bossed. And, you know, we've seen the Premier League shift to this German mentality almost. And I'm not just talking about Ralph Ragnick, but you have Thomas Tuchel, you have Hasenhudel, you have uh, Jurgen Klopp. Mm-hmm. Um, and this high press, and I mean, Leeds, they're, they're not German, but like this high press counterattacking style. Um, City are the opposite of that, if opposite is the right word, where they want the ball, they want to possess the ball. They don't necessarily need a, you know, to have a shot within the first minute of possession. They break you down slowly and slowly and wear you down. And I mean, my God, the players that they have and how they've scouted to fit this identity. And not only are they buying all these players, but players that fit the system. And even though this guy was not good his first year here, Bernardo Silva coming into the team and bossing it. I mean, Mm -hmm. Kevin DeBrowna every single year being amazing and Mm -hmm. just another performance. Phil Foden, I mean, how hard is he to mark, right? Like he's just checking in and out and in and out. I mean, how Mm -hmm. are the defenders and midfielders going to mark him because of how fluid their movements are? I mean, Raheem Sterling played today, but he's he's like their leading goal scorer. Didn't play in this game. I mean, just the the wealth of talent and it's unreal the system and the cohesiveness of City is just truly remarkable to watch. And it, I mean, it just shows why they're title favorites year in and year out, right? I mean, doesn't matter who the opponent is, they'll go in and play their game and play their style, and more times than not, oppose their will on their on the opposing team and so i mean nothing but positive things to say and you know just reaffirms my statement last week that you know i think it's going to be really tough for them to drop points before the end of the season yeah it's definitely theirs to lose that's for sure i mean i think they still have to play that liverpool city game liverpool game is massive that's that and liverpool has to be near perfect we've all known that because city just set such a high standard but i mean that's what you get when you spend 40 to 50 million on every single player for bench players who then turn into starters i mean you got guys like riyad mares didn't play for a while for a few years he's been absolutely money this season but here's here's the thing for city almost all of their players hit yeah and well almost, they all like I'm you not, said almost all of them like you said, they all fit that system. And even if they'll sometimes poach a player and then eventually move him to another position like Bernardo Silva, but you always saw that kind of game in Bernardo Silva's game to be able to move centrally. You know what I mean? So they always have that idea in mind. And same thing with the wing backs, although the left back position is probably the only one they haven't been able to fill. But even I striker, mean, it's like the I mean, yeah, right. They're just so stacked top to bottom. And it's not just a matter of just throwing around money randomly. Uh, I would argue both Chelsea and City, with all their mega billions, have they're the model for how to spend it wisely. I mean, I'd even argue man, uh, PSG has kind of thrown it around randomly. United, especially so. 
yeah, Arsenal did for a while, but it's a lot more cohesive now. So look, no matter how much money you have, you got to spend it wisely and you got to have right. an idea. So speaking of ideas or lack thereof, <laughs> Manchester United though. Holy shit. Wow. Um, you know, we've been saying that they're, you know, I, I said something different last week, but that there was between them and Arsenal. And for a while, they, we both agreed that this was fourth place for them to lose. And I think that door slammed shut of them being favorites. If there was any doubt um, for fourth place, I mean, under Ralph Ragnick has a tough task as we were talking about before the show. I mean, yes, he's come in and tried to establish some defensive stability that they didn't have under Ole, but Ole, Ole, I don't know. Um, he's gone, thank God. Um, but this is a tough task, especially when you've we when you've been making purchases and transfers that aren't system based, but more individual talent based, right? And so you can think of going back to Paul Pogba, to Jaden Sancho, to Slabhead McGee, and we'll get to Slabhead McGee in a second. And Rafael Varane, Donny Vandebeek. I mean, there's there's players I'm missing, I'm sure, but like just those five right off the bat. And none of them, and Jadon Sancho had a really good goal this game, but like none of them have like gelled cohesively within the team. I mean, Bruno Fernandez has probably been the best one, right? And so they've been throwing out a lot of money for an incohesive system, uh, just a lack of director of football strategy, a lack of manager cohesion. And then there's just the players not performing at the end of the day. Like Harry Maguire has paid a lot of money. And, you know, it's probably tough in the tough position as an interim manager to bench your captain. But Kyle, I, I think it needs to be done. Honestly, that was a god-awful performance over the weekend. I mean, that Meg thing, whatever the hell he was trying yeah, to do, the, let the ball run. Right. After De Gea save, he just lets it roll through his legs. I mean, what, what are we doing? You know if any team is going to absolutely crash the box on any opportunity, it's going to be Man City. Yeah, they have all the flair and flicks and beautiful play, but they also grift really hard. And that's part of Pep's style. But what you're saying about a lack of of strategy is it's really... Maybe a better way to phrase it is talking more about what what I'm trying to get at is talking about Ralph Ragnick. I, I actually really feel for him. I think this is a really almost near impossible job. It doesn't really make sense from a big picture decision making perspective why you would give this this is a guy who's one of the best directors of football in the world like we know he's a flawed coach I don't know if he's had major success in any of his teams besides RB Leipzig for that you know few year stretch there but this is a manager whose system or his football identity is really rigid I don't really think that's necessarily a problem though because Klopp, Tuchel, Pep, Conte these are the best managers in the world. They all have really rigid systems. And all these clubs, except for Tottenham maybe, are buying players that fit that system. And I just don't get why you would appoint a manager like that to an interim basis instead of, um, you know, like, like, it just really doesn't make sense to me. And why is he given the consent? Appointing him director of football. I mean, who's replacing Ed Woodward? No one really knows. I mean, at least I don't know. Maybe I'm just out of the loop or something. But it seems to me like it would make a lot more sense to maybe appoint him on an interim basis, give him the sporting director job after the fact, 
But if that's the case, they should already have an idea of who's going to be manager in the summer. Seriously, I mean, this it shouldn't be hard to convince people to come to Manchester United. No, no, and I'm sure tons of coaches will line up for the job. And they even came out, what, two or three days ago and said they've identified somebody that and they're close to agreeing to a first-time manager. And if you're a player and you're under Ragnick, let's say you're out of favor like fatty boy Luke Shaw and you're out of favor with Ragnick, right? Like, what is your motivation to listen to him and your teachings? And if you know he's going to be gone and two months it's yeah. really hard and that's why i don't envy ragnick's position because he's in a really really hard position to get buy-in from that locker yeah. room it's a really noisy locker room and what i mean by that is there's so many leaks to the press about you know not a cohesive system and not all the players are on board and his assistant coach is ted lasso that's like the second <laughs> ted lasso reference in the premier league right now all dealing with americans so it, english the English really think they're like the greatest. They're they're like God's gift when it comes to football. When in reality, we all know the Brazilians have perfected it, and the English just invented <laughs> it. Like, come on, y'all. But what one thing I did want to say real quick though is like you and I were never big on Ollie. I mean, no. I I cannot believe they appointed this interim manager and had him for like three years. Like clearly was technically inept the whole time. Mm-hmm. Even though you and I thought he was the problem. Well, was a major problem. Like they, they were never going to progress under Ollie. They did incredibly well to finish second. What I don't, I, I actually have gotten to the point where I think appointing an interim manager rather than just going all in on a full time manager, I think it literally is equating to United's board throwing away the season. I mean, really, like if you're running a company, you would never make a decision like that. It just is rudderless. It's aimless. So Manchester United, they're a bigger mess than my own club, Tottenham Hotspur, and that takes some doing. Trust me. They're in the same league of messes, but Manchester United might be winning that race for sure. Let's go into Liverpool. They played West Ham over the weekend, and they won one to nil. And, you know, we say all the time that if you're a good team and you play ugly, but you can grind out a win, I mean, that's just the hallmark of a good team. And they, they did that. Um, Kyle, is it fair? Is it fair for me to say I think they got kind of lucky in getting three points in this game? I mean, you can look at the XG stats and all the chances that Liverpool had, but I thought West Ham had some glaring chances that they didn't take in this game. Yeah, I, I feel like a draw probably would have been the most fair result for this game, but I mean, I could easily see West Ham getting a W in this game. I, I was impressed by West Ham. I thought Liverpool were really sloppy, kind of all over the place. We talked a little bit about looking a little defensively suicidal at times in this game. Mm-hmm. And they somehow kept a clean sheet against a really good West Ham team. So it's a weird one because, again, this is the sign of a successful team, of a trophy-winning team, of champions to pull out a result when you have this kind of performance. But um, they did not look good. But at the end of the day, a 1-0 win against a great, a very good West Ham team while not playing well, I mean, that has to just bode well. For Liverpool so but does it give you confidence that Liverpool is ever going to overtake Man City after they just absolutely embarrassed Manchester United having like 95% possession in the last 20 20 minutes of that game probably not but it's still there it's still there absolutely I mean this is I mean even though we say it's a harsh I mean Liverpool generated like 2.5 xg so that's like 
us saying they played bad because they didn't take their chances and they were really poor in front of goal. Like, that's I mean, just how that's good bar. That's just how good they are. That's just how good City and Liverpool are. I mean, this is why, in my opinion, teams in the world, both in the Premier League, it's just it gets bo- like I don't know. Having a podcast, it gets boring just saying the same shit about City and Liverpool over and over. We try to be critical. We try to find new things to talk about, but they're just so impressive. I mean, it makes it hard for us. <laughs> hey, we make we made fun of Italy for a while and Spain especially for being a two-team league. I mean, Premier League's going go to a three-team league, maybe. With, I mean, Chelsea's yeah. not in it this year anymore, but they're up there for sure. They'll be there next year. Speaking of Italy, I know it's a Premier League podcast. The most interesting title race in the whole world right now is in oh, Serie A. especially the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, oh, Inter yeah. kind of faltered a little bit. I mean, they lost the Milan Derby. What's it called? What do they call that? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, they lost that to... Derby um, della Milano or some something like something, that, probably. But, I mean, old man Olivier Giroud, speaking of old strikers, I mean, he's it's helping money. them get, get it done. Mm-hmm. Napoli's up there, too, playing really well. Yeah, uh, I think Napoli, those three. I think Juve is a little further behind. I think they're like seven or eight points down from AC. So, um, yeah, big injury to Federico Chiesa as well. So, I mean, that's it's pretty spicy though, and it's looking like Real away with the La Liga. Although Barca's really good, but Italy is the one. If you're looking for a good title race, that's where it's mm-hmm. at. Yeah, it's not in Germany. I can tell you that. No, never. Uh, <laughs> quickly, let's just cover Chelsea versus Burnley. I mean. There are so much off-the-field things going on with Chelsea right now and their ownership situation with Abramovich that we mentioned last podcast. There's a rumored owner and consortium that's rumored to buy it, but Kyle, it's kind of above our pay grade right now and what, what's happening. Yeah. Um, we'll let the intern gather the stories and feed us the info for we can make informed opinions when that story finalizes. But let's just talk about what happened on the soccer pitch, and they absolutely destroyed Burnley and Ginger Mourinho. I mean... It was it was a disaster for Burnley. And that, they were without Ben Mee, to be fair. And it was, you know, it was a tough game for them. But Chelsea, I mean, without Lukaku playing, have looked shockingly good in attack. Yeah, I think they've looked and better. American, Captain America, Christian Pulisic, when it's funny, when you play him in his preferred position of a left wing or sitting behind Havertz and Stryker, it's looking pretty good, Kyle. Not bad for a guy that Tuchel thinks is a wingback for some reason. But <laughs> hey, look, Reese James is back. I also think that's well, a major, well, major. Well, he just got injured again. Did you see this? Oh, this really? Breaking news. Yeah, so he came back and looked amazing in this game. Scored a great goal. Scored a great goal. And now he um, he's, uh, he's injured again. I don't know if it's been released how long he's out, but he's oh, injured man. again. It's not good for my fantasy team. Your fantasy I'm... team's doing fine. It needs to slow down. But yeah, I mean, besides the point, Reese James looked really good. And Chelsea, I mean, it, it makes you wonder, like, Lukaku's going to get his games because Chelsea's in every competition. Um, but I, you start to wonder, like, is this the first team attack? Hmm. Like, is it? are you going to go with the mentality of don't fix what's not broken kind of thing? Mm-hmm. It's a great question. It's a great question. I think ultimately Lukaku's still a starter, but if I was Tuchel right now, in this very yeah. moment, I'm probably a little concerned about, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm probably a little bit concerned about 
being caught up in that third place position, which shouldn't be even possible. So I think just temporarily, I would, I don't see Lukaku starting the next five games in the Premier League, or okay, maybe next three. The five is actually a lot. Um, I, I kind of like the look of Havertz in Chelsea's system. I feel like Chelsea's attack is similar to Man City's in that you need someone who's really good with the interchange. Like having someone like Lotaro or something like that would be great for Chelsea. Probably much better than, or like a Kane, much better than a Lukaku style striker. So yeah, it was a weird one. I I feel like actually Chelsea weren't very good in the first half. And I think it was either 1-0 or 0-0. It was tied. It was 0-0. At halftime. And then they just totally ran away with it at halftime. Um, or in the second half. I, I just think it's one of those where, yeah, Burnley's in good form, but missing Ben Mee, um, it really hurt them in this game when they're going to be under pressure the whole time. With with Burnley, though, I, I'm still one game, one pretty bad loss doesn't change how I feel about Burnley. I still expect them to to totally grift, get some points here and there, and make those Evertonians up north and the Leeds fans and over in Yorkshire uh, start to sweat bullets. I swear, man. What what are you thinking about Burnley? I mean, they're going to be in it to the end. And by in it, I mean in the relegation fight. My problem with Burnley is they have three wins on the season, Kyle, and a lot of draws. And you need you need points to survive. And if they grind out like six draws throughout the rest of the season, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be enough. They need to score some goals. That's true. Put in some perspective. To put in some perspective, three wins all season. That's that's much different than what I think in my head when I think Burnley at this very moment. Right, right. Because two of those wins were back to back, like five games ago. Remember they beat Tottenham, and then before that they beat uh, Brighton. I think. Yeah, um, I think so. I can check that. But yeah, and so. Those were two of their three wins on the season. So I'm not super confident, but just with how some of the other teams, it, I, it's, it's instead of a race for survival, it's a race to the bottom, I feel. Yeah, no, truly, truly. The thing that still has me confident about Burnley, ultimately, they've been here and they've done that. Oh, Ginger Mourinho, is, this over. is what he's paid to do, baby. This is what Burnley does. Like, I remember that season where they somehow qualified for the Europa League. And that Europa League season, I think they were winless until like January or something. They were awful. <laughs> they looked dead and buried, absolutely. And they somehow, some way, started plucking results off a of really good team. So, whereas Everton have literally never been relegated, which takes oh, them we'll to, get I, to Everton. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. Um, my God. Um, and then Leeds. You know, like, yeah, Leeds were in the championship two seasons ago, but I don't think any of these players on that current squad have dealt with a relegation battle before. So I think that experience for Burnley will really work in their favor. But if you look at the squad sheet, you know, Burnley definitely has the least quality. But I don't know, man. Sean Dyche, Ginger Mourinho, he's got he's got something up his sleeve. I, I love this dude, seeing him roll up in a button-up T-shirt when it's like five degrees outside. He's crazy. And, uh, you know, Cornet came off the bench. He's gonna, he's getting healthier, coming back from injury, and they'll get Ben Mee. So those are two really important players for them. I mean, talk about a team that doesn't have that much depth, right? And so they mm-hmm. need all the quality that they can get. And so that'll, that'll help. And, you know, like you said before, like 
the loss to Chelsea isn't the biggest deal for them, but they need they need need results against their other t- other teams they play. Yeah, I mean there are only twelve, I think twelve, maybe eleven games left in the season. Uh, mm-hmm. Wait, twelve for Burnley. Yep. Yeah. Oh, because they have a bunch of games in hand. So again, that's another thing that might work in their favor. Everton also have a bunch of games in hand as well. They they so play- it's it's going to be crammed for both of them. And these are two teams that actually don't have a lot of depth, especially Burnley. So maybe that that could definitely be a factor that works against them. We'll say last last uh, second on Burnley before we move on. They play Brentford this upcoming weekend. Massive, massive mm-hmm. relegation implications there. Absolutely. All right, moving on. Um, Arsenal, Watford. Arsenal keep grinding it out, keep getting it done, beating Watford three to two on the weekend and you know a couple of exceptional goals in this game that Watford goal, oh my god uh, all of nice. the goals in this game nice. really nice I mean I was gonna say as a neutral just if you want to watch a football game with some great goals this is the one to watch but I say that I'm not I'm not a neutral in this game I want I would love nothing more than to see Arsenal fall apart but it is not it hasn't been happening I mean no. Cucho Hernandez with an amazing bike for Watford mm-hmm. All three of Arsenal's goals were like total throwback Arsene Wenger style goals, just silky cutting through that defense like butter. I mean, mm-hmm. I I hate to say it, man, I'm really impressed with Arsenal going forward. Yeah, they leaked a few goals, but I don't think Watford were really that much in this game. I think that second goal was at the very end, although Dennis missed a wide open goal at some point, so it could have been a game. But yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh... Every week that goes by, and we know, I mean, we've said it so many times, they're beating bad teams, they're beating bad teams, they're beating mediocre teams, they're beating mediocre teams. Can't say that anymore. They're winning. They keep winning. Mm -hmm. They're beating the bad teams. The young core looks good. Odegaard in that uh, right center mid position has looked really good. And I called this out last week, but ever since that switch to the 4-3-3, and it's not as noticeable on the lineup team sheet, but it is Mm -hmm. when you watch that game. And I watched this highlight game closely. Uh, just because I called it out last last week. With Partey holding in the center, Xhaka not as much in the center responsibility, but in the like the left center mid. Mm-hmm. And then Odegaard more of the free reign, but more on the right side, sticking to that, and then the two wingers. I feel like Arsenal have found, and we talk about identities, I feel like they've found their identity. They have a mm-hmm. style. And as much as we bagged on Arteta, and specific, specifically in the beginning of the season, they've looked... They looked awesome, and especially their young core. I mean, I'm just super impressed in what they've done and the controversy at Stryker, and et cetera. And, I mean, talk about underappreciated and, like, Lacazette just holding it down and getting it done up there. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm super impressed with Arsenal, and I, I find it hard to name any other team that's close to as much of a favorite as them. No, they've uh, got to be. They've got to be favorite for fourth place, especially... Uh, I mean, this... We'll get to this weekend's matches, some major, major, major top four games. But I actually think with the way United are going, I think it's really between the North London club, Spurs and Arsenal. But yeah, would I bet, as a Spurs fan who's totally biased, would I bet on Spurs having more consistency than Arsenal? No, not a chance, dude. And <laughs> what I'm so impressed about is last season, I think it was, or at the beginning of this season, looking at their squad... And there weren't a lot of valuable assets in that squad. And you could argue Sokka and Smith Rowe. Uh-huh. Suddenly, after spending like... They spent the most money this uh, this summer. What, $150 million or whatever it was? Yep. Suddenly, top to bottom, they look 
pretty good with a bunch of players that have increasing values except for Lacazette. And, I mean, shit, that might be it. I mean, Jaka, and I literally think they're just a striker and a good center mid away. Having a full 11 of players. Who, so if Arsenal gets those two signings right, man. And, and you're right, Lacazette, talk about a system. Lacazette works for the system that uh, Arteta wants. It's not about him scoring all the goals. It's about him, his interchange and link-up play with the other players around him. Lacazette's great at that. So to assist in this game. I mean, he was there and, providing yeah. the business, providing interchange, and doing exactly what he was asked to do. So, yep, super impressed with Arsenal. I think it's theirs to lose at this point right now. And not to say they have it in the bag, because they absolutely don't, but they're far and away from me favorites for fourth place. Totally agree. Lacazette, seven assists on the season. And this is coming from a guy who didn't really play much in the first half of the season. So, uh, yeah, he might not be bagging in the goals. I think he only has three all season, but I don't think, kind of like a Firmino role, I don't think he really needs to. So, Start to move the other way, and this doesn't mean all the teams that we're going to cover are in the relegation fight, but they were playing teams that were in the relegation fight. So, Let's start with Newcastle Brighton. Newcastle, another W, two to one over Brighton. And this is without Alex St. Maximin. This is out without their new signing. Guimar is playing a pivotal role. Uh, Kieran Trippier is out for the season. And they're still getting it done. And I just find that super impressive for Eddie Howe to put together the squad to identify transfers that you know aren't the Kylian Mbappes of the world and trying to boil the ocean. I mean, I guess they were rumored with the whole ocean in January. <laughs> but finding and picking players that would come in and contribute right away, like the Chris Woods and the Guimares and the Trippier especially, and the, uh, what's the guy from Aston Villa? I keep forgetting his name. Uh, Matt Target, I think, left back. Yes, Matty Target. Mm-hmm. Coming in and just providing decent quality for that team and... How they're playing, Kyle, I know you have the results up, or you've had those up a second ago. They're a solid mid-table team as far as form-wise. Like mm-hmm. You look at what they've done now and where they're sitting and the, the schedule they have ahead of them, I'm calling it. I think they're safe. Me too. Me too. How dead and buried did they look in December? Oh. They looked absolutely toast. Uh, I think Callum Wilson was out until... I think he's only just coming oh. back. Yeah, he's almost back, right? Yeah. Right. Um, man, it looked rough. Eddie Howe wasn't making things work uh, initially in the first five games or so on bad run, but I think it goes beyond the new signings. I mean, I think Eddie Howe should be getting way more credit than he does. I feel like the English, as as a former reporter, I'm pretty critical of the sports <laughs> coverage, but... Look at the way the English sports media covers Eddie Howe versus Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard. Like they've got such a hard on for Lampard and Gerrard and they want nothing more to succeed and they're so favorable in their coverage. Instead, it's like, oh, Frank Lampard could inspire the players. I'm like, yo, they look awful. And he looks like a manager who to a fault, wants to attack and attack and attack. I don't think that's what Everton needs right now. Whereas Eddie Howe, Trippier after the season, Gimaraish hardly playing. Um, you've got Joel, Joel Ellington, who's signed as a striker. Total flop, turned into a center midfielder or a left-sided center midfielder. 
has mm. been looking great. You know, you've oh, got oh, Ryan. Great. I think he's been looking really good, honestly. But, and Ryan Frazier looking really good as well. Their center backs look good. John Joe Shelby looks like a totally new player. I think we got to give Eddie Howe the respect he deserves. And I think, honestly, I think he's one of the best English managers. I'd go that far to say he's up there with, I mean, there aren't very many good English managers, but I'd, I'd name drop, yeah, Potter, Eddie Howe, might even throw Sean Deitch in the mix. I mean, I what Ginger Mourinho does with less is I, to be, you know, to be admired. Put some respect on these guys' names. Come on. Yeah. I mean, Brighton and I have absolutely zero to say about this. Yeah. Um, Can you say you know, they're kind of on over-the-top purgatory for a long time? You know, we talked about Brighton in the beginning of the season and how you know how good they were playing and Potter and et cetera, et cetera, and they've been so inconsistent. That's and, what happens with these mid-table teams. Mid-table, it's just like there's nothing to say. I mean, I mm-hmm. liked your jerseys better last season. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. We don't want to blast them in outer space anymore. We, oh, we one used less. to hate Brighton, though. Oh, my God. Under Chris under Chris Hewton, miserable to watch. Couldn't stand it. Not good enough. One thing, one last thing I did want to say about Newcastle, I forgot to mention. Since 2022 started, second best form in the league behind Liverpool. Five wins, one draw. There it is. I mean, that's all you need to know. There it is. I mean, that's ball game for them right there. You look at the form table and everyone under them, L, lots of red. There's you know, a bunch of green. I think they had a single win in just by December. And now they've got five <laughs> yeah, wins. You're right. you're right. No losses this calendar year. Impressive. You know what wasn't impressive? Everton. <laughs> I mean, just... Uh, I mean, Wow. Let's start with the results. Spurs on Monday beat Everton 5-0. And this is a game that I would have predicted Spurs to win, but I wouldn't have seen Everton. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought Everton would look this bad. I mean, no, their defense was all over the place. I mean, they had what Calvert Lewin and Richarlison started this game, right? Yes, they did. I mean, they had their two first choice strikers. I, uh, I mean, I know Lampard hasn't been there long, but I, I couldn't see any identity of anything. I, I don't Alon know. And, do. Alon and Decore both started as well. Yeah. And honestly, my honest assessment of this is it should have been eight. Yeah. I agree. I totally agree. I mean, there was Spurs fans might be excited after four nil against Lee, five nil against Everton. Look, man, these are the two teams you want to play. And I was shocked by how bad Everton was. This game was all about how bad Everton were. I mean, sure there's some good play from Spurs here and there from a like Kane, Kulisevsky, and Matt oh, Doherty. What? He like megged. Oh, he like did someone dirty in this game. Oh, he's. I mean, well, I'm sure we'll. I'm sure I'll find space in future podcasts to talk about him more. Matt Doherty looking like prime Kafu somehow. And no, I'm just kidding, but uh, that's just disrespectful to him. Matt Doherty, though, I was really surprised. But look, this is mostly about Everton. Um, they had a lot of their best players playing. Um, it should have been probably eight. My that that defensive line is straight up championship quality. I mean, I'm floored by how bad Michael Keane has been ever since he signed for Everton. I mean, honestly, he's been yeah. terrible. terrible. Uh, they sold Luca Digne and have been starting with John Joe Kenny. I mean, I don't know what's going on with that. Their only player who looks like he's got any sort of energy or any final product or uh, quality is that 
uh, young Gordon guy. I actually don't even know his front first name, but he's looked really good. But Anthony Gordon, Anthony Gordon, but uh, Calvert Lewin. I know he's coming back from injury, but he was totally anonymous. Richarlison was rattled by Christian Romero in this game. I think that's some Argentina, Brazil, Copa America leftovers, but he absolutely cleaned out Richarlison and he just was totally rattled and never same never the same the whole game. And this Everton side, I this I'm looking at their upcoming remaining schedule and I think my money I told I texted you right after the game. I think Everton are going to get relegated. I'm dead serious. I just look at... I mean, I know they have a lot of games in hand. I think they have like 13 more games to play. They do. But here, I'm going to pull this up real quick. I guess while I'm looking for Everton's schedule... It's worth the exercise, honestly, to go through their schedule for the remaining... Because it is... Brutal. It might be yeah, the worst I've, one in the season. Do you have it? I, I think it is the worst I've I've seen. Uh, yeah, I've got it up right here. Uh, these next three games, or next two games, really are crucial, and I wouldn't say they're necessarily easy. But they've got uh, they've got Wolves and Newcastle at home. I mean, Wolves Definitely have been playing. No, but those are the two. You'll you'll see. I mean, there's a game against Watford that's been postponed. Those are the three games they got to win. After that, uh, starting in April. West Ham, Manchester United, Crystal Palace, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester, Brentford, Arsenal. My wow. God. I mean, Brentford, probably winnable. They could be in a relegation battle, though, in that second-to-last game of the season. Won't be easy. Crystal Palace, they've shown some really good stuff. Dude. Ah, the, the difference with Everton, with Burnley especially, and maybe leads to a lesser extent is again, Everton have never had that experience in a relegation battle. And I really worry for that. I don't think the players really realize where they're at right now in the situation they're in. And I don't think Lampard is the kind of guy to batten down the hatches and get defensive and pull a Sean Dyche or a Sam Allardyce. It's not going to happen. With them. Maybe that's who they should have hired. Sam Allardyce. Uh, yeah. Roy Hodgson. <laughs> Roy, yeah, exactly. Hey, Roy Hodgson could be out of a job in a week or two, so, you know. All right, uh, Kyle here. Apologies for the little odd break from the previous recording. It's at this point in the podcast recording that our audio recording platform sort of went bunk on us. So audio is kind of cutting in and out, so I figured I'd get this over the line and add some finishing thoughts, uh, quickly covering what we talked about at the end of the pod, and some quick updates that happened on Thursday. I'm recording this as of Thursday evening, so let's give this a shot. Um, Right after the audio cut out, we talked a little bit about uh, Leeds United and Jesse Marsh, the American manager. Uh, we covered the Leeds Leicester match, which went one nil in favor of Leicester, and both Justin and I thought um, that this was a great Leeds performance. They looked organized together. It looked like there was some hope. Uh, Jesse Marsh, of course, caught some flack from the English media for having an on-field huddle with his players after the game, which I don't really personally understand why he got flack for that. So I'm hoping he uh, sticks it to the English press. 
after that one. Uh, but Fault Leeds followed that up today with a uh, really poor performance against Aston Villa, 3-0 loss. So Jesse Marsh has a huge job on his hand, and I know his Americans were all pulling for him. So um, TBD on that situation, they'll be dogging it out with Burnley and um, Brentford, and I'm, I know I'm missing something, someone. Uh, Everton, of course. How could we forget Everton? Um, other than that, big, big, big news today. We've been talking about uh, Roman Abramovich, Chelsea owner, Russian oligarch, the natural gas Russian oligarch, uh, very close to Putin, uh, was handing, handing the keys of the club over to other stakeholders or uh, people within the club because he was fearing that he was going to be sanctioned by the UK government. Well, today on Thursday, uh, March 10th, Roman Abramovich was officially sanctioned by the UK government, and this has some major, major implications. So this is kind of what that means for the football club. Uh, Roman Abramovich, all of his assets in the UK are frozen, including Chelsea Football Club. And so that means a few different things as it relates to the football team. Uh, under Roman Abramovich's ownership, uh, the club can't be sold. He was hoping to sell it by the end of last week. Didn't really materialize. Uh, so now that his assets have been frozen, uh, Roman Abramovich can't profit from the sale of Chelsea Football Club. So there has to be some um, quote-unquote special process that the UK government has to be involved in. Basically, the government has to be involved in the sale of Chelsea. Yet... It's odd because I'm not really sure who would benefit from the three billion that would Roman Abramovich was actually initially asking for. So, um, very strange position. All the potential investors can't buy the club right now. So, this is a developing story. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more in the coming weeks. Uh, another thing this means, getting specifically to the playing staff, uh, with Chelsea, with Abramovich's assets frozen in the United Kingdom, Chelsea can no longer buy players under Roman Abramovich. What does that mean for next season? What does that mean for their transfer policy? Very up in the air, but as of now, Chelsea cannot sign players. Um, of course, the transfer window opens up in about three months, so we'll see if this is resolved by then. Probably, for me, the biggest thing Chelsea has a number of players with um, expiring contracts that expire at the end of June, I believe. Those players are, uh, significant players are Antonio, uh, Antonio Rudiger, Cesar Aspilicueta, club captain by the way, and Andreas Christensen, the center back. Those are three pretty significant players in the defense. And since Abramovich's assets have been frozen, Chelsea cannot extend these players' contracts. So losing your captain... Um, losing Rudiger, there's been this back and forth over the contract for many, many months, and Christensen already looked like he was out the door to Barcelona anyway. So either way, that's very significant, and without being able to replace them, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Chelsea. And lastly, this is um, kind of a ridiculous fact, kind of funny and ironic, but the club can no longer use club credit cards for things like gas even, food, um, anything like that. And just the idea that Chelsea, who have been propped up by Russian natural gas money for 20 years, 
can no longer buy fuel, I think is pretty ironic. So I think the coaching staff or the playing staff has to pay for their bus fuel, uh, at least for the time being. So very bizarre situation. Um, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about what this means for Chelsea long term, big picture. You know, what do we expect out of their new owners? Will their new owners finance a club quite like Abramovich did? Because Roman Abramovich, you can criticize him if you want, but he's really been a good steward of Chelsea, and the club has seen a lot of success um, since under under his belt. He's essentially made modern day Chelsea into a successful juggernaut. So. Uh, as we said, developing story, so we'll be sure to keep tabs on that one. Uh, lastly, but not least, um, to close out the pod, uh, Justin and I did preview briefly two major, major games this weekend, on, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, for the top four race. On Saturday, my Tottenham Hotspur goes to Old Trafford to play Manchester United in what's probably the most difficult game to predict of the entire season. <laughs> Currently, United having played two more games. So if Spurs, put it this way, if United don't get a win out of this game, major, major issues for them. And in my eyes, um, not mathematically, but virtually rules them out of that fourth place position. So um, that'll be West Coast time, 9.30 on Saturday. So be sure to tune into that one. Um, and to a lesser extent, um, Justin didn't seem to think this was a major game, but I did. Um, Arsenal host Leicester City, uh, Leicester side that's been improving as of late. Maybe not spectacularly, but look a little bit better. Arsenal are just rolling like a machine, though. But both Spurs and Arsenal are really benefiting from not having any European football. Of course, Leicester played on Thursday in the Conference League. Remember that thing? So... Uh, major, major um, games coming up. I believe that Arsenal-Leicester game is Sunday at 9.30 West Coast time as well. So you'll have to be sure to tune into that this weekend. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we will chat next week, I'm sure. <laughs>